Dr. Raheb Ali is the director of the Indox Cancer Research Network, India's largest academic oncology network, which he has led since it was established in 2005. He is also a clinical lecturer at the University of Oxford and an honorary specialist registrar at the John Radcliffe Hospital. His main research interests are in conducting clinical trials and epidemiological studies in developing countries. In this podcast, he discusses cancer in India, why Oxford University became interested in this problem, and how INDOX has helped to improve the standard of clinical trials in India. Why is it important to study cancer in India? I think traditionally cancer has been very much seen as a disease of the Western world, richer industrialised countries, um, and not really seen as a problem affecting developing countries like India, or Africa, or other poorer areas of the world. One of the things that's changed over the last 10 to 20 years is that as people are living longer in India, as they become richer, as they move to cities from the rural areas, what we call the epidemiological transition occurs. So people adopt more Western lifestyle habits and so they get similar diseases to people in the West. And one of the things we've seen is that the rates of cancer are increasing fairly rapidly in India. I mean, already it's estimated that more than half cancer cases in the world are in the developing world and by 2020 it's estimated it'll be about 70%. And just because of the size of India, about a quarter of those, about 2 million cases a year, would be in India. So it's a huge and increasing problem, and unfortunately one that India is relatively ill-equipped to, to cope with. How's the treatment of cancer different in India compared to the UK? As I said, India is still a developing country, and the amount of money which is spent on healthcare there per person is far below anything in the West, and particularly in the UK. And so most of the particularly newer treatments for cancer are quite expensive, and even the older ones, and the vast majority of people in India simply can't afford those treatments. Therefore, it's important that we develop treatments which are going to be affordable to the people of India, but at the same time that they have access to some of the newer treatments that have been developed in the West. And we have to work with the pharmaceutical industry to make sure that those treatments are available. Why is it that Oxford University um, became interested in working in this area? And on a more personal level, what is it that interested you to work in this area? I think personally I was already working in cancer, you know, in the NHS. Um, it's a disease which not only kills a lot of people, but causes an immense amount of suffering and pain. Um, and seeing firsthand, you know, my patients with cancer, I thought this was a disease that I would like to try and help, you know, alleviate some of that, that suffering and also to reduce death from cancer. When I travelled to India, both as a medical student and more recently uh, as a doctor, seeing again that patients presenting with cancer, but often at a more advanced stage than they would do in the UK, um, also not being able to afford even simple things like the painkillers that we take for granted here or drugs that stop people feeling sick and the drugs that we use to treat cancer, it obviously made me feel that there was an even greater need for people in countries like India to, be, to have some benefit from what we're able to do in the West and that was my main motivation. In terms of Oxford University itself, the network was established by the head of our department, Professor David Kerr, with his contacts in India. He has run networks of cancer centres in, in, in Europe and in the Western world, and again he felt that by doing something similar in India we could raise the kind of standard of research in India and enable them to conduct both clinical trials and other types of cancer studies to improve both the knowledge of cancer in India and also its treatment. The research network that you work for, INDOX, focuses on clinical trials. Before we go on to talk about INDOX's work, could you explain in simple terms what a clinical trial is for those in our audience who are not specialists in this field? Briefly, a clinical trial is designed to prove whether a new treatment 
is both safe and effective in treating the disease that you're interested in. So typically you will take a population of patients with particular cancer, for example breast cancer, and half the patients will receive the new treatment and half the patients will receive the existing treatment. And in the course of that trial you will investigate whether the new treatment is better than the existing treatment in terms of the outcome for the patients, so whether they have less symptoms, whether they live longer, and also whether it has a similar safety profile, i.e. does it cause more or less side effects than the existing treatment. So we're interested in both things. So we want to prove, obviously, that the treatment is better, but not at the expense of making patients feel much worse in terms of side effects. Or even some drugs can be very toxic and can even cause the death of some patients. And so we have to be very careful to get that balance right. So what is INDOX and what are its main aims? Why was it set up? INDOX is a cancer research network, so we're interested in doing research. One of the traditional kind of problems, not just in India, but in the developing world as a whole, is that the vast majority of research has been designed by people in Western countries, particularly US and Europe. They go to the developing world, do their trials there or their research there, without really thinking of what's in the best interests of people on the ground there, and not really involving doctors and health professionals from those countries. And so INDOX was set up to be something different, to be a true partnership um, between Oxford University and these six cancer centres in India. So we picked kind of six leading academic cancer centres in India um, or we asked them if they would like to join join the network and, uh, and they agreed to do so. And as I said, the idea was that we would work together to design both clinical trials and other studies to improve both our knowledge of what causes cancer in India and how best to treat cancer in India. What are the six um, hospitals that you're partnered with? So they're based in the main kind of cities of India. So the first is the All India Institute of Medical Sciences in Delhi, which is kind of India's preeminent medical institution. Um, one of the other main ones is the Tata Memorial Centre in Mumbai, which again is India's and probably one of the world's largest cancer hospitals. Uh, we partner with the Kidwai Memorial Institute of Oncology in Bangalore, the Nizam's Institute of Medical Sciences in Hyderabad, the Gujarat Cancer Research Institute in Ahmedabad, and the Regional Cancer Centre in Trivandrum. So it covers a fairly wide range of populations. I mean, India is a huge country, and it, its population is more than twice the whole of Europe, I think. Um, and so different parts of India have very different populations, different types of cancers, different risk factors. And so we've tried to pick centres in different parts of India, but we haven't got a very good presence in the east of India, and that's one of the areas we'd like to expand in. Clinical trials were being run in India before INDOX was set up, as you've said yourself. What is it that makes INDOX different? Many of the doctors in India have been trained and practised in the West previously, and they've often taken some of their training from here back to India and used it in conducting clinical trials. But there were two kind of obstacles to them doing that in India. Firstly, it was a regulatory problem um, in that the Indian regulatory authorities didn't allow certain types of clinical trials, particularly the ones that we call phase one trials, which are the very early trials that you do when you've got a new drug and you want to see really whether it's safe in human beings um, and also to see which dose to use off that drug. And the second problem was that India was not a member of the, what's called the, the TRIPS kind of um, it's really to do with patent protection um, with the World Trade Organization and so pharmaceutical companies were reluctant to do trials in India because they were worried that their drugs would be copied and sold as, as generics. Both of those problems were resolved in 2005 um, so phase one trials were allowed and India joined the TRIPS agreement of the World Trade Organization. So one of the areas we focused on is particularly in phase one trials where Indian clinicians had least experience and uh, we've been successful in conducting one of the first phase one trials in India. And um, as I said, it's important that we know whether these drugs have a similar safety profile in different populations, including the Indian people, 
form about a sixth of the world's population. So if we don't have any information on that population, it's a, it's a big gap in our knowledge. And how is it that international support helps to strengthen India's clinical research capacity? Is this not something that India can do on its own? As I said, because of the restrictions placed both by the regulatory authorities and pharmaceutical companies, it's something that Indians couldn't do previous to 2005. Obviously, here in the UK and Oxford in particular, we had a lot of experience of doing early phase clinical trials with these new uh, with these new drugs. And so it was really using our experience to train up the uh, Indian clinicians. And we have found that they are more than capable of doing similar trials to similar standards that we are in the UK. And the idea within Nox is that after the initial phase of training and development, that the Indian clinicians would do their own trials, design their own protocols, and they wouldn't require our input after that. But they have certain strengths, and we have certain strengths, and we believe that working together, we can achieve more. What have you managed to achieve so far since INDOX has been established? It was established in 2005, is that right? That's right. So we have done, I think, eight clinical trials so far, mainly the so-called later phase trials, which I described at the beginning, and also one early phase trial. Um, which is um, to, to look at safety and, and the dose. We've also started to look at what are called case control studies in particular cancers, and this means that we're trying to find out what are the particular risk factors that are important in certain cancers in India. So the types of cancers are a little bit different in India compared to the UK. For example, cancer of the breast, although it's becoming very common in the cities now, is relatively less common than here, and cancer of the cervix is much more common amongst women. Um, in men, head and neck cancer is very common there, um, and lung cancer is increasing because of smoking. But the, the patterns are slightly different. And by doing these types of studies, epidemiological studies, we can see whether there are risk factors which are more important in the Indian population compared to here. We're also planning to do a study looking at whether Indian patients um, are adequately consented, i.e. that they're properly informed and prepared to take part in clinical trials, because this has been a concern, obviously, that. Um, patients are being exploited by, by the West. Um, so that's another study that we're planning to undertake before the end of the year. What are some of the key practical and ethical challenges that you've encountered while doing your work with Indocs? And to take the ethics first, I think it's always been a concern, rightly so, that um, Indian patients shouldn't be exploited. A lot of them are very poor, um, a large proportion are illiterate and simply won't have access to the kind of information that we take for granted here in the UK. Um, and so it would be easy for unscrupulous people to go there and uh, enlist people into clinical trials which are not for the patient's benefit. Um, unfortunately there have been some cases of that in the past, but from the outset with INDOCS we ensured that all the trials that we did would be relevant to the Indian population and obviously the clinicians that we work with in India are all trained to conduct trials to the highest ethical standards and it hasn't been a problem with the trials that we've conducted and we always ensure that patients are properly informed that there are relatives or witnesses there to make sure that their consent is uh, is appropriate. Another ethical problem is that the drugs that are developed are often very expensive, um, and that's a problem in the UK as well. The NHS often can't afford some of these drugs, and in India that's obviously an even bigger problem because people are relatively poorer. So we, as I said, have to work with the pharmaceutical industry to make sure that they make those drugs affordable to people in India. In terms of practical challenges, I one of the main ones was that, particularly at the junior doctor level, the people that would run the clinical trials, there was a very rapid kind of turnover. So doctors would come for a few months and then move on to another project. And one of the things that we did to address this was to set up a fellowship scheme. So we would offer fellowships 
to these junior doctors and they would spend some time in Oxford on training courses but they would spend the vast majority of their time in India running these clinical trials and through that we've managed to reduce the turnover and most of the people that have been working with us have, uh, have stayed with us for the last three years. Do you have any future plans to expand this research network either within India or to other countries in the South Asia region? I think within India itself there's a huge gap in knowledge really in terms of even fairly basic things as to types of patients that are getting particular types of cancers, uh, whether it's affecting particular parts of the country more than others, whether there's particular risk factors that people have which is increasing their risk of cancer. Um, and a lot of that basic work which was done you know, in the West 30, 40, 50 years ago still hasn't been done in India. So that's one area. Um, in terms of clinical trials, I think we'd quite like to start looking at whether local treatments such as the Ayurvedic medicines really are effective in cancer. A lot of people in India still use those treatments, particularly amongst the poorer section of the population, um, but we really don't know whether they work or not. And by doing properly designed clinical trials, we can prove you know, whether these treatments do work or not. Clearly, within the South Asian region, Pakistan and Bangladesh have similar populations to India, um, and the status of clinical research in both those countries is even further behind compared to India. And so, personally, I would like to set up similar collaborations, uh, particularly in Pakistan, which has a, a very similar system to India, similar trained doctors and a similar population um, within the next year or two, and to see whether we can do something similar um, in Pakistan to start off. Is the research that you're doing in India relevant to the Indian diaspora community? It is in two ways. So firstly, by studying what's happening in India, where there's a very obviously a huge population of Indians, um, we can discover many useful things about cancer which would be relevant to the Indian populations here, where because of the relatively smaller numbers, you wouldn't have the number of cases, for example, to do a good study or a good clinical trial. Um, and it also works the other way. So if you look in the UK where we have a relatively large Indian population, about a million and a half I think, we can look at what's happened to people who came over here you know, 40, 50 years ago and have adopted Western lifestyles and see how their pattern of cancer changes. And we can assume that a similar thing may well happen, um, particularly in the middle classes and in the cities of India. And that gives us an idea of what's going to happen in 20 to 30 years time in India. And that's very helpful you know, for public health purposes and planning purposes in India. And we've seen a similar thing with cardiovascular disease and diabetes. There's been a huge increase in both of those diseases, firstly in the Indian diaspora community here, and secondly already is happening in India. What changes do you think need to happen in order for a real difference to be made? I think the main change really is at the level of the Indian government itself. So, as I said, India, with its large, rural, very relatively poor population, has huge health challenges. And I think it's fair to say that cancer is on top of the government's priorities um, for good reasons. They still have large proportion of the population that are suffering from very basic things like malnutrition, where they don't have adequate immunisation, etc. Um, but at the same time, if the burden of cancer does increase as it's predicted to do so, that will place a large strain on the country's health resources because it's an expensive disease to treat. It causes a great deal of suffering and pain and obviously has a wider impact more than just the health side of it, it also has an economic impact and also a psychological impact on, on families. And so I think that at this stage they really should be looking at prevention. You know, if we can prevent people getting cancer in the first place, then that solves a lot of problems in the future, both for the individuals and for, for the country. From our point of view in the West and 
somewhere like Oxford University, again, we can use some of the knowledge that we've gained from cancers here, both in the UK population and in the migrant populations, to see how we can help them plan for the future. What are some of the key challenges that, that India faces, which are common or different to other developing countries? I think India has one big advantage over many of other developing countries, and the population is relatively, although well, there is a, a large segment of the population that is well educated, um, not just in the West, but now within India itself, and has the resources you know, to implement some of the, the things that we've discovered both in Western countries and, and, and in India itself. Many other countries don't have that same infrastructure there, both in terms of people and uh, and hospitals, for example. So Bangladesh doesn't doesn't really have as good an infrastructure. Um, but there still are huge problems, and one of the the big problems is that, uh, particularly in the rural areas, there's inadequate provision, both of health services and also screening, for example. It's very difficult for people in those areas to even access those simple things, um, and also for treatment. I mean, most people in India don't have health insurance. The government provides very limited kind of coverage for people, and so if they can't afford a treatment, then they're kind of left to suffer and often to die um, a very painful death, and that's what we want to prevent. If people want to learn more about Indox, where can they find more information? We do have a website, although it doesn't have a lot of information on it, but it gives you an idea, and that's uh, www.indox.org.uk. Um, or they can contact myself um, or the Indox manager who's, and the contact details are on the website. And we're, we're keen to work both with collaborators in the UK and in India or anywhere in the world who have an interest in cancer in India and in Indians or people of South Asian origin. There's a lot we can learn from other people working in the field um, and I've always believed that through these types of collaborations we can achieve a lot more than working uh, individually. Okay, thank you.